I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hi everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of All Things Policy. I am Meghnan Karni. I work as an assistant program manager at the Takshashila Institution. And today we have Rohan Pai joining us for an episode. Before we begin, I would like to bring to your attention that the applications for Takshashila's one-year postgraduate program in public policy and the three-month graduate certificate in public policy are now open. We offer specializations in defense and foreign affairs, tech policy and advanced public policy. So make sure to check out our website for more details about the programs and other important dates. Today, in this episode, we'll be discussing RBI's recent paper on payment systems that was published in October and deconstructing some of the highlights. We are going to be focusing more on the understanding of UPI better and its underlying hidden costs. So to begin with, Rohan, I'd like to ask you, could you give us a brief overview of why RBI recently published this discussion paper? Yeah, sure. So the main reason why RBI published this discussion paper last month was to give everyone a brief overview of its different payment systems that are currently active and to compare these payment systems with UPI especially. They wanted to understand the impact of different rules and procedures around how charges are levied on their different payment systems. And they also wanted to throw it open to the public to gather opinions on whether they should start charging differently for each one of their payment systems or not. And UPI is one of the important ones here because the government since January 2020 has mandated a zero charge framework on UPI. So it's free to use for everyone who is a customer on UPI. So in that context, this paper becomes very important because it gives us an opportunity to discuss whether we should be levying costs on UPI or not. So that's basically the gist of what was in RBI's discussion paper. Oh, okay. And like, what are the different payment systems that are in active usage today? Yeah, so RBI's payment systems are actually categorized into two different things, mainly the funds transfer payment systems and the merchant payment systems. So the funds transfer payment systems are mainly for peer-to-peer transactions. So a peer-to-peer or a P2P transaction is nothing but, let's say, you and your friend went out for a dinner somewhere and you owe him some money because he paid the bill. If you pay through UPI to your friend directly, then it becomes a peer-to-peer transaction. On the other hand, a merchant payment system is a P2M transaction, a peer-to-merchant transaction. And that's nothing but, for example, your friend who paid the restaurant, maybe he scanned the UPI code to pay for the dinner. So that would be a peer paying to a merchant. So that's mainly how we categorize RBS payment systems. And under the funds transfer payment systems, we have the RTGS, which is the real-time gross settlement. We have NEFT, the National Electronic Funds Transfer, and the IMPS, or the Immediate Payment Service. Under the merchant payment systems, there are 
you know, anything, any transactions you do where you're using your cards or using payment gateways and so on, where you're facilitating a P2M transaction falls under the merchant payment systems. A special case here is UPI, obviously, because it falls under both the categories. Because with UPI, like I mentioned, you can pay a friend or you can pay a merchant who you're buying any product from. So that's what really separates UPI apart from some of the other payment systems that we have under RBI today. And that's mainly the reason why UPI is being discussed in such great detail. Even though RBI's discussion paper has put out discussions on whether we want feedback on all the payment systems, but UPI is still being discussed the most because it's the most popularly used payment system today. Thanks, Rohan. We are going to pause for a short break here. And I want to discuss further on basically why the costs of UPI are a concern, but we'll take a short break here and then I'll see you right after this. Welcome back to All Things Policy. So Rohan, continuing on our discussion that we were having before the break, I'd like to ask you, like, why are the costs of UPI a concern? Yeah, so one of the main reasons, like I mentioned before, there is a zero charge framework mandated on UPI by the government. So what this basically means that any stakeholder that is part of the UPI payments ecosystem is bearing the cost of all the payments that are taking place there. So, for example, like I mentioned, it falls under the P2P and the P2M brackets. So what that means is that because mostly all the transactions are being mediated by the NPCI, NPCI is nothing but a subsidiary of the RBI, which is a consortium of the banks that are involved in UPI. So how it actually works is that NPCI is at the center of all UPI transactions. So every UPI transaction goes through NPCI's gateways. Before it comes to NPCI gateways, the banks that are involved on each end of the transaction are bearing the cost of that transaction. So in every UPI transaction, you have the NPCI and the two banks that are involved in the transaction that are bearing the cost of the whole thing. And they're not being allowed to charge for this because the regulators have mandated the zero charge framework. So now that UPI is becoming extremely popular and it's becoming the choice for many as a payment mode, uh, what this does is that with each transaction, the burden on the banks and the NPCI is growing because there is no way for them to recover the costs that are being incurred whenever customers are using UPI. And this means that those who are involved in UPI, even at the front end, for example, the apps we use, which is Google Pay, Paytm, Phone Pay, and so on. All these guys also have no way in which they can make a profit through the transaction. They have to diversify their business models. And this means that, you know, they have to start charging for insurance. That's why you get many offers on Paytm for different services like your electricity bills, your movie tickets, and so on, because that's one way where they can charge commissions on the payments you make. So the only model that is now available to them would be to diversify their services and build scale so that many customers start logging on to Paytm or a phone pay or a Google Pay. And 
if they build scale there, then they're hoping that the customers will jump from not only UPI, but also to the other services they're offering, like insurance, movie tickets, and so on. But in the long run, this is not very reliable because obviously it puts a limit on the ways in which they can make a revenue from these services. And with every transaction being an extra charge for them, the more popular UPI get, the more cost they incur and the less revenue they can make. So just from a cost and benefit perspective, they're losing out. So the stakeholders which are involved in the front end, like these apps or payment service providers, as they're called, their opinion is that they should be allowed to charge for UPI, maybe a small fee on every transaction or maybe at least on peer to merchant transactions if they can have a commission. And why this keeps coming up in various discussions is because previously, whenever people used to use credit cards or debit cards instead of UPI, what used to happen was there was this charge called the merchant discount rate. So the merchant discount rate is nothing but your card networks and the other intermediaries that are involved in the transaction, charging the merchant a commission for each payment received. So for example, I go to a restaurant and I pay 100 rupees to the restaurant for the bill. The restaurant, if I pay with a debit card, might receive only 99.5 rupees because the 0.5 rupees has been taken as a commission by the different intermediaries involved. But with UPI zero charge framework, this revenue is totally out of the window and it doesn't allow any stakeholders that are involved to actually recover the cost. So that's one major aspect of why people keep mentioning that UPI is not sustainable because it is growing and in time it's only going to be a bigger and bigger burden for the banks and the front-end apps like Paytm, Google Pay and PhonePay. So that's the main reasoning behind it. And there are arguments on both sides, actually, if you want me to elaborate on this further. Sure, sure. So the other side of this is that RBI and the government, to a certain extent, believe that this zero charge framework is why UPI has been successful. They believe that most consumers are attracted to UPI as an option because they don't have to pay a charge on the transaction like they would have to in IMPS or RTGS or NEFT. And similarly, even for merchants, they're not giving up a commission on every payment. So the finance ministry believes that the overall benefits for the economy in having this friction gone away, because there's no intermediaries involved in charges and so on. With that gone away, more people are switching to digital modes of transaction, which is true as the numbers show. And this means that there is less cash floating around in the economy and more cash in the banking system. And this is also good for the banking system in a way because what that does is if there is more money in the banks, the banks can use this money to create more money. So there's a process by which banks reinvest the money that you have stored there to invest it elsewhere and gain higher interest on it than what they pay you. So that's called the spread and this is estimated to be around 85,000 crores at the minimum. So many people say that, you know, the banks have the infrastructure and the revenue to actually ensure that UPI is running smoothly. But of course, just because they have the revenue doesn't mean that this burden should be on them. Because the other side, again, is that UPI has issues like transaction failures and so on and limits on transactions. 
which is not really addressed because it's an additional burden and banks have to spend extra resources to address all this. So I think with all this in mind, what it really points towards is the fact that the regulation should be toned down. That's one way to look at it because it means that then you're allowing this entire market to operate freely. Right now with the zero charge framework, there are both benefits and costs, but in the long run, it's surely not as sustainable. So I think that's the main issue on why people are discussing it so much. So Rohan, I know you've spoken about the sudden popularity of UPI, the burden that brings with and like the how stakeholders are losing out, but I'm sure there will be some way out, right? I know you've talked about how regulations have to be toned down, but what are your suggestions on how UPI can be sustained like in a longer run? Yeah, so like I briefly mentioned in the last section, I think for UPI to sustain, you have to first tone down the regulation. So for example, just last month, UPI has recorded record high of 730 crore payments. And this means that with every month, it's just growing in popularity. And you can, to a certain extent, argue that UPI is growing in popularity, not just because of the zero charge framework. There are many other benefits that UPI offers other than the zero charge, which makes it an attractive option for UPI being used. So these are just the fact that, you know, if you want to use UPI, it's much easier to use it than other payment systems. For example, you require just a smartphone and internet connection, which is very common because almost everyone today has a smartphone and to a certain extent, some internet connection. So it becomes much easier to make payments via apps than to you know go on to a net banking site and perform an RTGS or an NEFT. Or just go to the banks directly and ask for these transactions to be done. Similarly, with the QR codes and all that, it makes it much easier and much faster. There's less friction in every transaction that you make as compared to, you know, your credit cards and debit cards. There is good security infrastructure because you always have to enter a PIN or you have to give your fingerprint or face ID and so on to make a UPI payment. There is also some fun point of sale infrastructure, like as soon as you make a payment, the merchant knows that you have made a payment of a certain amount because of those speaker phones that are now part of all these UPI devices. So on the customer facing side of all this, there's a lot of innovation that's already happened. And that's because they all recognize the fact that UPI is a really convenient payment method and it's here to stay. And it's not only because of the zero charge framework. So today, if the government decides to get rid of the zero charge framework, it's not really going to shift people away from UPI because the market's giving clear signals that UPI is here to stay. So if you have to look at it from here onwards, you just have to think about how you can scale UPI by toning down regulation. And the best way to do this is by allowing competition to happen freely. and what I mean by that is that in every layer of UPI, competition needs to be introduced. And the main reason why I'm suggesting this is because right now, because there's a zero charge framework, there are less firms that are interested in joining UPI because they realize that the avenues for revenues are limited. But if we do introduce costs on UPI and a framework through which these firms can actually recover their costs, 
then more people will be interested in the UPI model. And this doesn't have to be anything different from what we see in other markets, right? It just has to be an opening up of the markets to incentivize all the different stakeholders to actively participate in the market. And that's a major thing which is currently missing with UPI. So by doing that, what happens is that you will end up with more innovation on the consumer facing side. And there might be some firms that might still decide to charge zero costs on the UPI transactions because it's totally up to them how they want to make their revenues. You don't want the government to tell them that, you know, you need to have zero charge here or a zero charge there, but you need to give the firms the freedom to decide how they want to design their revenue models. So by liberalizing the regime to provide avenues for competition in each layer of UPI, and this includes your user-facing apps, your middleware connecting apps to banks, and the termination points at banks, you can improve India's digital payments infrastructure. So not just at the front end, even allowing competition to a body like the NPCI in operating payment gateways, or to banks through digital-only bank accounts, which maybe which are capable only for UPI, can help address these limitations. So if this freedom is given in the market, then you immediately see a much more free-flowing market being born, right? And market participants can then also invest in other technical infrastructure to improve transaction reliability. Because right now, there's the issue of a lot of transaction failures and limits on transaction. And that's mainly because the banks are not incentivized to address this. So this lack of incentive is a major issue. If we do not address this, then what happens is that the technology remains where it is. Over time, of course, because of economies of scale and the marginal cost per transaction going down because of better technology, there will be lesser costs on each transaction. But after some point, it will stagnate. And to avoid this, the right thing to do would be to have a free-flowing market where regulation is low and the stakeholders that are involved in these transactions have a much bigger say in how they want to set up their revenue models. So if we can do this, then hopefully we can have a much more sustainable digital payments infrastructure, which at this point is surely missing. Thanks, Rohan. We actually haven't had an episode recently on India's digital payment infrastructure, and I'm sure that now people have a better clarity about different payment systems, the sudden popularity of UPI and the burden that is on banks and front-end applications and ultimately the role of markets. So thank you for joining for this episode today. Thanks, Mike. It was really good to be here. Thanks for having me and I hope I can be back again soon. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila INST or our website takshashila.org.in.